Welcome to the Big Fundamental Podcast, a Ken's Five podcast on your San Antonio Spurs and NBA basketball. I'm Jackson Floyd. I'm Cameron Songer. And Cameron, it's here. It's started. The players are in the building. Training camp is underway. Game time, but not quite game time. Right, just, on just the like the very, like you know, last minute or so of the uh, of the pregame countdown. It's super exciting. Yeah, and I mean, one of the questions coming into Spurs Media Day that a lot of people were kind of asking about was the youth movement on this team, how this core is going to come together in its second time around. Like, this is the second year where the main pieces are Demar, Lamarcus Aldridge. What does that mean for this team and the young core around it? And I think the big question mark there is DeJounte Murray, a player the Spurs really missed last year. Yeah, it's great to see him back out there. The the, the rehab process he talked about a little bit, the start of uh, media days and you know what he's had to go through to get himself back ready to go. A major injury, the first real major injury of his career. Yeah, I mean, it sounded like he was putting six days a weekend at the gym trying to get back and healthy. Uh, and I think that's going to be a big step for the, the Spurs there. And then uh, a question there is who plays next to him? And uh, you heard a lot of people talk about Lonnie Walker in this training camp. Popovich called him a player who may be faster than DeJounte, a player whom he has touted as being one of the fastest guys in this uh, lineup here. What do you expect from Walker coming into training camp? I don't, I don't think it's necessarily fair to expect he's going to start at the beginning of the season, but the, the Spurs have shown that the team that is the starting lineup at the beginning of the season isn't necessarily the team that is finishing games or even the starting lineup midway through or at the end of the season. DeJounte Murray earned the starting role two years ago, midway through the season. He, yeah. he overpassed uh, Tony Parker uh, to have that starting role. Uh, great interview that uh, Joe Reinagle did with Lonnie Walker one-on-one. That, that aired uh, Tuesday night on Ken's Five. We have the clip up on our YouTube page and on our website. Check that out if you want to hear more about Lonnie Walker. He talked about uh, his passion working with animals and just you know his background and his desire to uh, you know be a great Spurs player and and and. A big part of being a Spurs player is is the defense, and I think that's something where he's going to help a ton. Uh, having two really fast, athletic guys is something the Spurs haven't had in a really long time. That's not really the hallmark of Spurs basketball, but they have that option now. I don't, I, I, like I said, I don't think that they're going to necessarily see a ton of time on the floor together, but it's a kind of wrinkle that Coach Pop can save for big games or maybe even you know late in the season, postseason, when you're making that push. You start giving other teams a look that they haven't really seen much of yet. Yeah, you mentioned who finishes games, and that's always been kind of the most important thing for these Spurs in the Popovich era. I mean, one of their three greatest players, Manu Ginobili, was not a starter for the big chunk of his career. and It was all about finishing games and bringing him off the bench in that second unit and also in the fourth quarter to just kind of take over. Lonnie Walker kind of reminds me, you mentioned defense there. If he can play that Danny Green role where Danny Green was a quick defender, transition D was kind of his strength. Everyone always thinks of him as the Tar Heel triple, this three-point shooter. His transition defense and his wing defense next to Kawhi Leonard in the, those 2013-2014 NBA Finals days were a big part of this team there. So if you can get a defensive guy like Lonnie who can play that role and then also step back and let Derek White take over in that Ginobili role or something like that. That's all hypothetical. Lot to see how it plays out, uh, but that's what training camp's all about, trying these wrinkles. Yeah, and I, the one thing I do want to mention before we get too far ahead is, is Lonnie Walker got a ton of reps being sort of the guy in summer league, and he looked fantastic while he was doing it. Uh, really carried the offense at times. Now, granted, it's a lower level of competition. You can go back and watch some of the games, and you, know, you won't recognize half the names that were on the floor at any given time, but he showed that he can put up points in bunches, and I think that's a good thing because all of these guys at a certain point in their career, whether I was, was in high school or in college, were the guy, the A1 guy. And then you, you, you take that next step to the NBA game, 
And depending on where you were drafted, depending on where, how you are coming in, there's maybe not as much of an expectation. I think guys start to lose a little bit of offensive confidence. And so for Lonnie to have that uh, experience in the summer league going into his second year, especially after a year where he was battling injuries, didn't play a lot of NBA minutes, to have the confidence that he can score against NBA caliber competition, the defense, I think, will, will take some time. Learning how to be a defensive player takes time in the NBA. Very few guys come in as rookies and are stoppers. Uh, but you can't ask for a better system and a better coach than, than Popovich and the Spurs. Yeah, I mean, he's in the right system, and there's a great coaching staff there. And a key part of that coaching staff this year is assistant coach Tim Duncan. And a lot of players were answering questions about the role he'll play uh, here. He wasn't available at media day. It's a, that's a bummer. That's a real bummer. But that's the Spurs way. Popovich <laughs> doesn't like his assistant coach talking. He does all the talking, you know, one message kind of thing. Um, but, you know, other people were talking about Tim Duncan. I think it was Rudy Gay when asked about uh, Coach Tim Duncan said, you know, he's been here. You know, he, this is what he does. He's already kind of done this role. At least he's getting paid. <laughs> uh, get that money. Get, get that, that money, money. Tim. <laughs> and then so, you know, as we, you know, we work ahead towards training camp, This uh, we're recording this on Wednesday. So this is day two of training camp. They're working their way towards the first preseason game. That's this Saturday, rapidly approaching against the Orlando Magic. Is that in Orlando? No, it's here in San it's Antonio. It's here in San Antonio. There you go. Um, so, I mean, what do you expect? You know, the Orlando Magic is a team that was a playoff team last year. They're the seventh seed in those playoffs, so that meant they went against the Toronto Raptors. They won that first game. That was kind of a surprise there. That's an up-and-coming team that we're seeing come to San Antonio. Who's to say? I mean, they might not play their, their starting five uh, in this opening game, but that's a lot of talent you're going to see uh, going against the Spurs. A good challenge, I think, for this first preseason game. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting matchup, and I mean, without getting too deep into the first preseason game or anything, uh, especially, like you said, we might not really see much of DeRozan or Aldridge or yeah. some of the Magic's key players. I think there are a lot of uh, parallels between these two teams. They have a lot of young talent. They're still highlighted by some older school, older guys, uh, Nikola Vucevic being the, the main one you think for the Magic, and then LaMarcus Aldridge, guys who are almost uh, from a, la a past era of the NBA, and both teams have a ton of really interesting uh, young guys, young prospects. Uh, it looks like Markel Fultz might not play for the Magic in this first game, uh, but he, he might be the most interesting name on both of those rosters. He's a very big question mark. <laughs> the guy with a lot of talent coming to that league, the, the people forget the 76ers traded up to get Markel Fultz there uh, ahead of Lonzo Ball, ahead of Jason Tatum, and then you know he was promptly out of Philadelphia after two years, traded to the Orlando Magic. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if he has his shot. You know, that's been the question mark. Can he shoot like he shot in college? Yeah, but just in terms of that first game, with especially with each team having basically what four practices going up to that game, you're going to see a lot of just kind of roll it out there. Uh, not, not a lot of. Uh, offense is being run, not a lot of you know sets. I think the coaches will bo both teams will be experimenting with a lot of weird lineups that you probably won't see in the regular season, uh, especially if you're looking at a situation where maybe DeMar DeRozan gets a start, plays five, six minutes, comes out, puts on the warm-ups, and he's done for the rest of the day. Uh, that seems to be a case for a lot of preseason games, especially early, as the preseason wears on, you start you start to narrow it down a little bit more. But over the course of the preseason, yeah, you, you see some different things, and and I think a lot of coaches take a page out of like an NFL playbook, where NFL coaches in the preseason they don't want to show any of their natural stuff. It's a what you, they call a vanilla playbook, a lot of runs up the middle, really simple pass concepts. Uh, the Spurs, you know, they'll run some kind of offense a little bit, but it, it'll mostly just be, you know, roll it out there. Let's see what we have. It's it's a it's a pickup game at this point. Yeah, and speaking of pickup games, Spurs scrimmage is right around the corner too. That's October 10th. Cameron, have you ever checked out a, a, a scrimmage like this? 
Tell you what, there's going to be a lot of talent on the floor. The Spurs have, and we can talk about this more as the season goes on, the Spurs have almost almost a problem in that they have too many good players. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in a lot of these, as talking heads, NBA prognosticators, we're talking about different teams, uh, one of the things that comes up, especially with a team like maybe the Warriors or the Rockets, the, once you get past the top six or seven, you're going to be giving minutes to guys who on a lot of other teams wouldn't be getting NBA minutes. The Spurs have almost the opposite problem where Lonnie Walker coming into the season, maybe the 10th or 11th best guy on the roster. Like on a lot of other teams, he could threaten for a starting spot, but just because of the depth the teams have, it's, it's, just, it's just what the situ- it's what situation is for San Antonio. So the, the, that scrimmage will be really competitive. There will be a lot of really good players on the floor. It's also an exciting way. I mean, it's, this is a free first-come, first-serve event. It's an exciting way to get up close and personal with the players. You may not be able to shell out hundreds for a, a front-court seat, court-side seat during a regular season game. But these scrimmages, you get up close, you get right, right next to the players there. It's a really fascinating take to watch basketball from a different angle and to see some of your favorite players kind of going up against each other, like you mentioned there. Um, yeah, that depth is going to be a, a strength for the Spurs team as they head into the regular season, which starts October 23rd, just a few weeks away here. Before we jump ahead to more regular season basketball, let's take a look back at the summer, see how we got to where we are. Uh, and a lot of this summer revolved around Team USA more recently, and then we also had Summer League looking back. Team USA, though, Coach Popovich was leading that. Derek White uh, played some contributor minutes there. Uh, he had one game where he got to start and kind of uh, based on injuries with that Team USA and played more significant role. Um, talk about Team USA and kind of what that role will play here. I think the, the time they've spent with Team USA playing into the season. Yeah, I think just for, for a guy like Derek White, I mean, all of these players are working out in the offseason. They're all finding ways to stay in shape, and, you know, whether that's playing in summer pro-ams, you know, the Drew League has been a, become a popular thing, or um, just just working out, working on other aspects of your game. I still don't think there's a, a replacement for playing high-level competitive basketball. At the end of the day, that's what, it, that's what these guys are being judged on, is what is the performance like in, in the games where it counts. And Derek White just played a bunch of games that, that matter. That, yeah. you know, maybe not as much to some NBA players who are from <laughs> the United States because they didn't show up. But for Derek White, he showed up. And he was a part of that. I, I think it also gives him a little bit of a mental edge maybe when they play some, especially the Boston Celtics, which is not a team the Celtics or the Spurs are going to play a lot of in the regular season, just the two meetings between the East and the West there. But uh you know, he knows those guys a little bit more now. You know, there will be some buddy buddy, you know, they'll they'll dap him up at, you know, before the uh you know, before the game starts or whatever, but the, you get into the game and suddenly you've been practicing with those guys, you've been practicing against those guys uh, in, in training camp, you, you, you get a little bit of a, a knowledge and, and you can start to tell your teammates, hey, you know, whether, you know, maybe I'm guarding Kemba Walker, but someone else is guarding Jason Tatum, get an idea, this is what he likes to do, this is his mindset a little bit, so... Uh, it, it, and it works both ways. Obviously, those guys know a little bit more about him now. I don't know how much they will have talked shop and, and he will have spilled secrets about what Coach Pop likes to do. <laughs> hey, you know, when I'm playing with the Spurs, this is, what, this is how Coach Pop approaches this situation. You, 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 know, you never know, but I, for Derek White, it's a great experience. Yeah, I mean, it's a fascinating experience. You mentioned for a young guy like that, and he wasn't the only young Spur to show up to the World Cup and gain that valuable knowledge, that time playing. Chemezie Metu, albeit not for Team USA, was there for Nigeria, a significant contributor for that team who clinched a 2020 U.S. Olympics berth with their play there. That's going to be valuable knowledge for Metu, as you mentioned, and just, yeah, getting that experience playing high-level basketball. Uh, that's a Spur that I think 
think a youngster that we tend to forget about when we talk about the youth movement, based on the fact that he was a later second round pick, that he didn't get a lot of playing time. He's been that, that towel waver at the end of the bench here. Um, but he's a guy, I mean, the Spurs, when you talk about center depth, don't have a lot of big men. Metu's going to be the guy called on, I think, to, to, to show some growth here behind Jakob Pertl. Um, we'll see Aldridge play a few five minutes, uh, minutes at the five here. But other than that, I mean, it's, it's got to be Metu stepping up. And I think Team US, I mean, playing in that World Cup is, is kind of a, a stepping stool into that kind of role. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if anything were to happen to Jakob Pertl, whether he gets, you know, just banged up, has to miss a couple games, Teams like to start big in the NBA. LaMarcus Aldridge, I think, especially against a lot of other lineups that will be sort of small ball for other teams, he'll be playing minutes at the five. But we could see Chemezie Metu in a starting lineup if, you know, Jakob Pertl needs to miss games for any reason. So, yeah, it's important that he got those what we call high-level reps. There's a big difference between a summer league game and an international World Cup game that, that counts for something. That's not to say all international games are, are the same because the, those uh, exhibition games, Team USA, we started to see a little bit of uh, signs of a problem when they played those exhibition games against Australia. And who was the big part of that Australia team? Patty Mills. Patty Mills. Yeah, he, he was clutch for that team. And then the other spur who was also involved in the, in the summer, uh, Marco Bellinelli playing for Team Italy. They, they didn't have a great tournament run, but, it, you know, you stay in shape. You, you continue to get those, those high-level games. It's not a thing, I think, as much in 2019. I think we'll see it less and less. But what you used to see is guys would just they would show up out of shape and then they play their way into shape. Shaquille O'Neal is the classic example of that. If Shaquille O'Neal were playing now, that wouldn't work. No. You, you have to stay in shape 12 months out of the year. Maybe not 12 months, 11 months out of the year. You know, you, you, you know things can happen in August if you're not playing in, uh, in FIBA. But yeah, the, if you're staying in shape, you don't have to play your way into shape. It reminds me of the 2004 Olympics when Manu Ginobili led Argentina through the Olympics to a gold medal. That's a guy getting a lot of reps. He was the star of that team, playing a role that, I mean, he was one of the major contributors for the Spurs at the time, was not a star for that team, was not the main ball handler. He comes into that 2004-2005 season, has one of his best regular seasons, Spurs go on to win an NBA championship. You talk about that kind of role that you played there, uh, getting that experience, playing yourself into that. Uh, he came into the best shape he played in and was a strong contributor uh, off the bench in that six-man role for a championship team. Yeah, 05. That was one of the best Spurs teams ever. That was a great team. Um, let's talk about some of the new faces we're going to see here in San Antonio. This is a busy summer for them. You bring back a few of the, the key players. Of course, Popovich signs that three-year contract extension. Rudy Gay is back. Uh, we're also welcoming Damari Carroll, Trey Lyles uh, to San Antonio. Those are the big free agency acquisitions. Now, we, you may not remember, Trey Lyles was not the Spurs' first choice for oh, this yeah. last spot here. Um, again, Marcus Morris was uh, had a, verbally agreed to a contract to come to San Antonio. San Antonio ends up uh, trading Davis Bertans to the Washington Wizards to make space for Morris's contract. Morris then says, ah, I'm going to New York take my talents to the New York Knicks there. And uh, Spurs end up bringing Lyles in. Um, but Lyles is a young player. He could be a contributor here. Has not had, I'd say, a strong start to his NBA career. Uh, is one of those guys drafted in the lottery who's kind of bounced around a bit. Yeah, this is his third team now. It'll be his fifth NBA season. Talk about coming in with a chip on your shoulder. As if, as if uh, a, a guy who has that sort of pedigree, uh, you know, former Kentucky Wildcat coming in and didn't make that immediate impact the way I think a lot of people would expect a guy with that, with that background to come in and, and make an impact right away. 
ends up, uh, starts in uh, Denver, goes to Utah. Both of those teams, they already had tremendous depth at the, at the power forward, at the big position. Uh, and he's also, you know, last season was in a shooting slump. He shot worse uh, last season than he did earlier in his career. That, that could just be bad luck. It could be a function of not really finding a rhythm with inconsistent minutes and an inconsistent role. Now he has this label as not being the Spurs' first pick for who they're coming in and getting in free agency. If that's not a motivator, man, I don't know what is. He's going to come in. I expect him to be playing. Uh, first of all, he's going to be in the best shape of his career and playing inspired basketball and, and really recognizing that, hey, you know, nothing is guaranteed in this game. And uh, buying into the Spurs system, Finding the right the right fit, whether that's sort of as a as a stretch for a guy who he has a ton of physical tools, uh, so can really get up uh, for some rebounds, and has the ability has the length to defend on the perimeter, uh, as well as obviously uh, be a shot changer inside. So a really interesting player. The Spurs haven't really had a guy like that. They don't. The Spurs aren't, don't, don't usually pick up a ton of reclamation projects, so I'm really interested to see what Trey Lyles does and, and how many minutes are out there for him, especially on a team that has a lot of veterans at that sort of four spot. And Damari Carroll uh, has sort of become that small ball four, that proverbial uh, player. He, you know, Early in his career, he was more of a three, now playing more of the power forward position. We know, you know what you're getting from him. Uh, he's also been a guy who's had some shooting struggles uh, in the last couple years. So if he can go back to finding the, uh, the stroke that made him successful, especially when he was not part of that uh, really good Atlanta Hawks team, the Spurs need outside shooting. Davis Bertans was their best three-point shooter a year ago, and he's gone. Yeah, he's one of the best in the league last year, too. So you've got to have someone who can fill those shoes. Lyles, like you mentioned, he, he's going to have a chip on the shoulder. He's going to be in the mix with a lot of guys to fill that four spot. And one of the guys he's gonna be competing with was their top draft pick this year, Luka Shamanich. We know that the Spurs aren't someone to play rookies a lot. Shamanich comes in a little younger, a little less polished, was not the shining beacon that we uh, were looking at in Summer League. He had some, he showed flashes of talent and uh, was not putting up the stats. Has a little bit of a turnover issue, but I think he's a guy who could find his way into the rotation uh, based on his play there. Uh, their other rookie they drafted in the first round is Keldon Johnson, uh, a Kentucky Wildcat as well, um, who did look a lot more polished in Summer League and showed, uh, you know, dropped 29 points in the Utah Summer League, um, was one of the highlights for the Spurs uh, this summer. Uh, wh what kind of roles do you think those rookies are going to play? Honestly, I think they're going to spend most of the season in the G League. I think the way this team is built right now, they're kind of built to win now. There are a lot of veterans on this team. The, there's the pressure to get back to the playoffs and extend that NBA record playoff appearances. We know the West is going to be super tight this year, and there aren't going to be too many games on the margin where you can afford to give too many extra minutes away and too many possessions away. It, it's an 82-game grind, but there really is going to be a, a pretty intense focus. It's not, it's not a situation where the Spurs have talent where you know they're going to win 50 games, and so they can start developing some young, some young guys. They kind of need to use the Austin Spurs in the G League to make sure that the young guys are getting game reps without potentially putting the NBA team in a situation where it could cost them games that they really need. So I think in a lot of other situations, those guys could see reps. I think maybe if the Spurs didn't go out and sign Lyles and uh, Damari Carroll in the offseason, yeah, there'd be a lot more minutes for Shamanich. It could speed up his development, but it might hurt the team in the short run. And I think the Spurs, I think, are finding a really good middle ground in, yeah, these guys are not getting the, uh, the reps in year one, 
but the team is still successful and it doesn't end up hurting hurting these guys long term because you look at what Derek White did, you look at what DeJounte Murray has done, uh, but neither of those guys played much in their first year in the NBA and they're both looking to be big contributors, top players for the Spurs in whatever years, two, three, four, wherever they're at. Yeah, the Spurs have a formula that's proven with kind of the success stories they've found. And yeah, like you said, I imagine that Johnson and Shamanich will kind of follow in those steps. We had a, a podcast a few episodes ago talking about the Spurs' sneaky rebuild, uh, this youth movement they've had while still contending for playoff position, making deep playoff runs. Uh, and that's something that Shamanich and Johnson, alongside Murray and White and Walker, are going to play roles in. Um, if they are spending time in the G League, they're going to be doing it alongside uh, fellow draft pick, second rounder, Quindary Weatherspoon and uh, Drew Eubanks, who are both on two-way con- uh, contracts with the G League team, the Austin Spurs, going back and forth. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of roles to play there. The Spurs have used this G League to kind of grow players there. Um, there's a lot of fun news, big fun news surrounding <laughs> the G League right now, though. I love this one. I love this one. This is wild. They're changing the free throw. Yeah, so the G League is switching to a one free throw model. And the G League has been sort of a, a breeding ground where they've experimented with a lot of different rules to uh, speed up the pace of the game. They, they really want to fit a game, make sure it's done within two hours. They, they think hard two-hour limit, it's better for TV, and it's, it's where they test some of these things. They've changed uh, timeout rules, and the NBA has ended up adopting some of those policies. But this one might be a little bit too far for the <laughs> NBA. So one free throw, depending, uh, regardless of what the foul is. So if it's a, an and one, yeah, it's still one free throw. Two-shot shooting foul, one free throw worth two points. Sh- uh, foul outside the arc for a three-point shot, one free throw worth three points. Wow. It's, it's, uh, I'll tell you what, it's something I've seen when I was playing you know, youth AAU ball. It's those kinds of tournaments where they're trying to get games in on the hour or hour ten, and you're playing maybe it's, it's a big gym, and you have the two short courts going side by side, and ball rolls on from one court to the other court, and you, you know, okay, yeah, one free throw for worth two. You just keep the game going, running clock, 20-minute halves, you know, keep the game, keep the game going. It's, it's a blast. Uh, I, I, think it, I think it's great for the league. I think it'll be an adjustment for those players, but keeping things interesting, keeping things a little bit different. Yeah, I think this is another step. I mean, this is another sign that the NBA knows that it's got a free throw problem. That's when the game slows down. That's when there's kind of a slog created. We saw it with the Hacka strategies. Hacka Howard, Hacka Shaq. I mean, the Spurs famously employed Hacka strategies a lot. It was one of Pop's go-to tools um, in the the 2010s, uh, especially against players who shoot free throws poorly. DeAndre Jordan, um, cough, DeAndre cough. Jordan, exactly. Uh, it, but the the game grinds to a halt uh, when this happens, and so this is a step the NBA has taken. I'm a little curious though because stats have shown percentages on the second free throw are better than the first free throw. So are we going to see a dip? in free throw percentages if, I mean, I know this is just a G League tool, but adopted to the NBA, I mean, is it going to lead to a dip in free throw percentages? I, I think absolutely. I, I expect a lot of G League guys, and, and, and you know, guys who are in the G League because they're, they lack a little bit of the polish that would make them NBA players. So one of those things that guys, especially developing, will rely on is rhythm. And a big thing at the free throw line is rhythm. Sometimes you use that first shot, and yeah, there's a, you still has a good chance of going in. But you start, you know, you're finding where your legs are at. You're finding it's just a mechanical thing. So I expect, yeah, free throw percentages will be down. But should the NBA adopt this model? Maybe because one of the big uh, complaints around some of the best players in the NBA right now, some people can't stand James Harden. Why? Because he takes a lot of free throws. And the analytics say it's a great thing. Get to the free throw line; it's a very efficient shot. 
it's just not very viewer friendly or fan friendly to look at it and say, oh boy, we're going to watch this guy shoot 22 free throws tonight and he's just going to, you know, you get guys who are accused of flopping. The NBA's done a great job of cracking down on that. So yeah, the, the responsiveness to what fans are saying about your game, you give the NBA a, a huge tip of the cap. So rule changes like that are something that we see at the beginning of the NBA season. As we kind of, as we sort of move towards the start of the season, that's when the NBA will unveil changes they made to the game. Another thing that's unveiled at the start of every season is ESPN's NBA Top 100 Player Rankings. And we saw several Spurs make the Top 100 this year, which is a good thing. I think it's also a little bit of a negative thing depending on where they've been placed. Uh, let's just talk through where they've been placed right now. Derek White was listed as the number 100 player in the NBA, starting off the list there. Uh, DeJounte Murray, number 71. DeMar DeRozan, number 46. LaMarcus Aldridge, number 41. How do you feel about those ratings there? It's hard to imagine a playoff team in the West without a top 40 player in the NBA. That's you know, if you were to say that, hey, a team's going to make the playoffs without any top 40 players, really the only team that could pull it off is the Spurs because this is such a superstar-driven league and you've seen the number one way to win a championship or even make a deep championship run is to have A1 superstar, top five, top 10 talent in the NBA. If you don't have that, most of the time you don't have a prayer at winning the championship. Do the Spurs have a chance at winning this championship? That's, an, that's a conversation for another day, uh, whether they're a playoff contender or a championship contender, because those are two very different things in a, in a league where 16 teams make the playoffs out of 30, but only one is a champion. Uh, but yeah, I, I, think, I think that's about right. Might be a little bit low on Aldridge and DeRozan. I think both of them have the potential to make steps up, especially as they get more comfortable playing with each other. We have talked about the fact that uh, their skill sets do overlap a little bit. They're both kind of ISO-heavy, mid-range kind of scorers. So as a fit, maybe not the greatest, but individually, I think they both, you could, there's a fair argument to be made for both of them being in the top 30. Both guys who've made multiple all-star teams, including Aldridge in the past year. So that's kind of a slight and say, hey, you were an all-star last year, but we think there are 40 players who are better than you. Yeah. We select 24 players to the All-Star team each year. <laughs> now, I know when we divvy up the teams, when they're choosing the teams this year, Aldridge was the last player taken. That still means he's in the top 24 players, albeit, you know, there's new players coming into the league, rookies. You know, they've got Zion Williams uh, ranked right about Aldridge's. I think he's at 42, um, sandwiched right in there. Um, but still, you got to, I mean, is he really taking a 16-spot 16, 16 step back here? Maybe. I mean, you know, he's been in the league for a little while now, and you know, father time is undefeated, as they like to say. Uh, looking back at some of these other rankings, I have no problem with Derek White at number 100. I think he, when you're making a case between 99, 100, and 101, there's not a ton to separate. I do like the, the little shadow they give him, because he did put in the effort to be a part of Team USA when so many others didn't. So I, I like that little, that little notification, that little feather in the cap for Derek White at number 100. Again, I also have no problem with DeJounte Murray at number 71. Remember, he missed all of last year. We haven't seen him in 12 months. So it's really hard to say what level of basketball he's at. If he is back to where he was, I think his number, he, would, he would be higher. 
I think if there's, he is possible, he's even improved. You know, he's been working on some other things. It's very natural for guys in the third, fourth year of their career to be adding new things. He's talked about adding a mid-range jump shot. But it's also possible that, you know, he's maybe a little bit slower on that first step at first as he gets more comfortable being back on the floor after missing 12 months. Yeah, I mean, like like you said, what we mentioned when we brought this up, a little bit of a good thing, a little bit of a bad thing. Properly rating kind of the younger Spurs, I think a little bit of disrespect towards Aldridge and DeRozan, who have both been top 20 players in the past. Are they really kind of taking this much of a step back in a season where they're going to be gelling more and things like that? Uh, and this kind of segues into what's driving us batty right now, Cameron, because... This list is driving me batty. Um, I shouldn't care about it this much, but really I have poured too much time into being thinking about it, figuring out who they've got ahead of DeJounte Murray, who they've got ahead of Derek White. Like John Morant, he's a rookie. He's coming in. He's the number two pick selected by the Memphis Grizzlies. He's 98th. He hasn't played a minute in the NBA. Derek White, who was a key factor in the Spurs playoff wins, they got in Denver as kind of the secret weapon. They had no answer for uh, Derek White in those first three games. The answers they did have kind of turned the series there. Uh, but really, John Morant's higher than him. Again, this list is arbitrary. It's just one side's rankings there. Uh, the court will kind of the play on the court will kind of decide as we move forward here if John Morant is really better than Derek White. But uh, I wouldn't. I would only be slightly exaggerating if I said I lost sleep over this list. So, uh. yeah, I think it's interesting to look at some of these other, you know, what, what I would call like sandwiches, like the Spurs are sandwiched between these two guys. So Dejounte Murray at 71 is between Montrez Harrell and Gary Harris. Those seem like fair enough comparisons, I guess. Uh, DeMar DeRozan is ahead of Clay Thompson, which I think is wow. kind of crazy. Again, you have to remember that Clay's going to be out for much of this year, so how do you rate him? That's a really good question. Yeah, that injury probably plays a factor in that ranking. But there. behind Aaron Gordon and Miles Turner, I think <laughs> I would take DeMar DeRozan ahead of Clay, or ahead of uh, Aaron Gordon if I needed to win a game next week, which I think is how this ranking is supposed to be construed. I don't think it's supposed to be a, you know, who are you building a franchise around for the next five years question. And then LaMarcus Aldridge you mentioned Zion Williamson uh, behind him at 42 and Nikola Vucevic ahead of him at, at, at 40 and we kind of mentioned uh, earlier when we were talking about that Magic versus uh, versus Spurs matchup I, I do think that's a good a fairly good comp between Vucevic and Aldridge but I I take Aldridge over Vucevic 10 times out of 10. Yeah I mean I think Vucevic for his career has been described as a poor man's Aldridge but maybe this is the turning point here the tides have shifted here oh what's driving you batty Cameron? I'll tell you what uh, according to Mark Stein teams now actually have to certify an exact height for players apparently the league wants to change this time-honored tradition in the NBA uh, where the, all the heights are wrong. If you're actually 5'11", guess what? On the roster, you're 6'1". Uh, apparently now, they actually have to t say exactly how tall guys are. Uh, the, the exception to that rule has always been uh, these guys who are actually 7-foot but don't want to because they don't want to be labeled as 7-footers. So Anthony Davis and Kevin Durant, your time has come. The, 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 the gig is up. Uh, <laughs> It's over for you guys. You're seven feet tall, and uh, I am interested to see how some of these uh, some of these guards actually are listed. Uh, Isaiah Thomas, who will be playing a, a pretty big role for the Washington Wizards, how tall is he actually? He, he reminds me a lot of Allen Iverson. There was always a ton of questions about him because his height fluctuated, and his height and, and also weight. I don't think they're doing the same thing for weight, but uh, but yeah, this is it just seems so silly. It's been it's been such a, an open secret for so long. Why are you changing it now? It's what's the point? I know. Uh 
Age is another thing they're taking here. Exact age at the start of training camp. Um, I'm, I'm excited to learn that my favorite player, you know, is actually five six and forty four. You know, <laughs> so it's, it's mind blowing. Like, I, what's the difference between saying you're seven feet tall and six eleven, or saying you're twenty eight and twenty nine? It's it's a little silly, um, but uh, that's you know the NBA for you. Sometimes they uh, come up with some silly ideas like this. Um, let's let's shout out one more. I have a bonus. I have oh, a yeah, bonus thing that's oh, driving boy. me batty. This is this is pretty. Uh, Pretty heavy, pretty extreme hoop head kind of stuff. But uh, according to Yahoo Sports' Keith Smith, uh, there's a, a weird loophole teams are exploiting to uh, help their G League teams. It's oh. called affiliate players. Uh, each team is allowed to designate up to four players that they end up waiving as affiliate players. So they get waived from the training camp roster and then get designated for the G League team, assuming no one else picks them up. So uh, it's a way to bring those 18th, 19th, and 20th guys into your camp. That you get, you get a little bit of experience for them. Again, they get these, these four practices and then can become part of your G League team. Uh, there is some financial incentive for a uh, guy to stay in the NBA rather than end up going overseas. These are guys who would have to make that decision. Uh, it's, really, it's really marginal stuff in terms of how it affects the NBA, but it could affect the G League season. And for the Spurs, uh, they signed Jeff Ledbetter to this uh, what's called Exhibit 10 deal, mm -hmm. and then they waived him pretty much immediately to bring on Matt Farrell. They also have uh, Dedrick Lawson and Dalton Holmes are the uh, three extra guys. So remember, the, there's the 15-man active roster plus the two two-way players, and you're allowed to have up to 20 guys in your training camp. So you have those three guys for the Spurs. It's Lawson, Holmes, and Farrell, who are part of the Spurs training camp. And then they waived Jeff Ledbetter, but they're going to try to keep him as an affiliate player to make sure he can stay on with the Austin Spurs. It's a way for him to get a little bit of extra money with that affiliate player designation as opposed to just being part of the general G League player pool. This super NBA nerdy stuff, but it's just, you know, it's teams making sure that they're trying to exploit every little letter of the law in helping develop their teams, their players. And uh, again, some of these guys will never see a court in an actual meaningful NBA game, but the Spurs really trying to control as much as they can for the Austin Spurs roster for the coming year. Well, I mean, there's a little bit of competition in terms of the market for players like this. What's to stop Jeff Ledbetter from going overseas and playing for an Italian league team, making a little bit more money than he could on a, on a G League roster, and at least getting more playing time and getting more experience there. So I can see that loophole being used in that, that kind of indication there. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, it's nerdy. It's very nerdy. <laughs> um, so Cameron, we would, it would, we would not be the big fun pod if we did not end the podcast by discussing Manu's fake hair. Right. <laughs> so if you guys haven't seen the video, um, the World Cup, the FIBA World Cup this summer was in China. Um, we saw a lot of Spurs in the tournament. We also saw Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, Boris Diaw, these former Spurs at the tournament in various roles. Uh, while Manu and Tony were overseas, they took part in the celebrity game, uh, playing with some of the Chinese League uh, players over there. Uh, and as they're announced on the court, they say, you know, starting for this team, number 20, Manu Ginobili, he comes onto the court wearing a wig. Full head of hair. Full head of hair. Um, and the look on Tony Parker's face, <laughs> seeing vintage Manu, flowing locks, looking like 2004 World Cup Manu Ginobili, or World, uh, U.S. Olympic Manu Ginobili there. Um, then you gotta, you'll have to see it. <laughs> I, I have some questions. It's a, it's a great viral clip. 
was he wearing it during war- were there warm ups was he wearing it during a warm up did he not appear at all during the warm ups and so he just kind of came out of you know came out of the tunnel Willis Reed with the uh, with the flowing locks the it's just it's it's an amazing clip Tony's face is is priceless and, and Manu's big big grin you know you know what uh, kind of grin <laughs> pulling a fast one on tunnel <laughs> there uh, overseas there um, but yeah that's uh, the big fun pod for today we are moving towards the season like we mentioned October fifth the first regular season game. We will break that down next week and look forward to the rest of the preseason, looking forward to the regular season. We may even make some regular season predictions Whoa. here next podcast. Yeah, one of the things I think we'll, we should be able to talk about next week, the uh, the TV schedule in terms of which games Ken's 5 will be carrying That's for right. the Spurs will be available pretty soon. It might even be available by the time you're listening to this podcast. Uh, but Ken's 5, your official home of the San Antonio Spurs, and will carry... Uh, quite a few games this upcoming season the the exact list still uh still waiting to be able to to share that with you exactly so keep it here on the big fun pod please sure to rate us wherever you may be listening be it apple podcasts be it uh, spotify stitcher Podbean. we're out there in the podcast universe and uh yeah that's all i have today cameron <laughs> it's been big and it's been fun all right we'll see you next time <laughs>